Thorax Dongerslitz. My name is Connor, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 159th episode of oh, Space Fair 2000. Yeah, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for January 1987. Prox oh 503 God. to 506. It, new year, new us, buddy. Uh, this time, <laughs> Dread handles for, uh, Varks, DJs, and novelists. Nemesis splits the team and Thoth is doing time crimes. Johnny Alpha makes a new friend. Slain talks old times. And our bad comp- company friend Malcolm is having a bad day. He's really feeling kind of in the middle about the whole situation. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. This podcast is over. Um, anyway. <laughs> and who knew? Yeah, if you, if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 10, Strontium Dog, SD Agency Files 4, The Complete Bad Company, The Complete Nemesis, The Warlock, Volume 2, and Slain the King. It's pretty kingly. Smashing dudes with axes. That's Didn't a, think it too many. Sweet yeah. king. <laughs> hey, but Fox, before we get <gasps> to the thrills this week, oh! I wanted to just do a quick like state of 2000 AD for 1987 here. Yeah, we're like, we're 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 ending the podcast finally. Too many bad jokes. We've hit no, our quota. <laughs> Listen, I can't finish this podcast until I've fin- until I've uh, I've solved the genie's curse, Fox, and that's going to be for quite some time I, still. Uh, did you, you have a genie's curse on you? What? Yeah, you you remember? Anyway, <laughs> when we were vacationing in Morocco that time, but oh whatever. My, I mean, I. I don't like the way you're saying um, genie, man. That's scaring the shit out of me. I thought that I thought that was just a really bad peyote trip. I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot of things for the record. But uh, <laughs> but but as we get to '87, like I wasn't sure whether to kind of put this in. Um, like this is not about space spinner, but but about 2000 AD itself for '87. Oh. I wasn't sure, sure where to put this, either here or like in, in a Spinney's last episode, but I guess, you know, here is fine. And for the record, just like, you know, we don't talk a ton about what's going on outside the prog on this show, but there is some important stuff coming up that, that, that I, I think it's good to know. And like, I don't know. Listen, if you're listening to this show and you want us to kind of talk about what's going on in the real world as these progs come out, I, I guess we could. Uh, the Fantastic Cast, I think, does a really good job of this, of just sort of saying, like, what happened the month that they're covering when they do the show and stuff like that. My youngest sister um, was born this year. That's Yeah, important. I mean, totally. And increasingly, we're getting to eras where, like, I don't know, I kind of have some memories of 1987, I guess. <laughs> like, I was seven oh. when it, during, at the, by the end of the year. So, I can sort of be like, oh, yeah, this is a vague thing. Like, I remember Iran Contra or something like that. Mm. But whatever. Uh, l- l- let me know, like by commenting on the show or whatever if if you want that stuff but what a- anyhow Ooh, anyhow fox in early 1987 in, in 2080 uh longtime editor john sanders he was the head of the he, for a long time he's been the head of the ipc youth group which publishes a lot of these comics he was a big deal like you know, he was a guy that like dealt with the fallout of, of of action being censored and stuff like that he's been running the youth group which also does 2000 ad and a bunch of other stuff for a long time and he made a proposition to uh ipc to buy the youth group outright 
Whoa. And in turn, this caused IPC to basically say like, oh, like you're interested in buying it, eh? Well, we better see who else wants to buy it so we can make as much money as possible. Oh, my God. Um this will sort of cause the youth group to be put on the open market. There'll be a lot of different, both like groups making offers and pe- people being approached to make offers. I know like DC Comics, for instance, gets an offer. Um, but in the end, after six months of, of negotiation around like July of 87, um, the IPC youth group will be sold to Robert Maxwell's Persimmon BPCC Publishing for about 6.8 million pounds. A lot of that is sort of in uh, debt relief or something. Okay. But um, they'll change the name of the publication of Fleetway Publications. You might see that and now a, a, a different address sort of. In the bottom of the 2000 AD, like publishing information on the bottom of like the front page and stuff like that. Huh. Um, but because of the frenetic nature of putting out the weekly comic, it'll be a little while before we start seeing any major changes because of this. But just keep in mind that sort of changes are coming. You know, the sales not till like July, so a couple episodes out, and then changes will be uh, e- even further. Oh. Uh, oh. But what. Where we will see changes um, in the in, in in the weekly prog fox is that because of all this uncertainty combined with the general crappiness of working within the comics industry, this just became too much for longtime 2080 editor Steve McManus. Oh, who's been our editor since like the 70s, basically. Yeah. Um, in early 87, he's going to try to quit, but instead will go on a long sabbatical to work on a new comic book. Oh, um, and there's an interesting section about this in in his autobiography, The Mighty One, that that, that kind of becomes a stream of consciousness, like sort of travelogue through the U.S., sort of doing comics things. Um, the the temporary editor taking his place will will be Richard Burton, of course, the uh, the Burt droid we've seen so many times as an assistant editor, Ugh. and then we'll get a new and then. Uh, uh, Burton will be as- assisted by writer turned editor Alan McKenzie, um, who becomes some sub editor and professional guy who gets yelled at on the phone by by Pat Mills, basically. Jesus. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, you'll see him like at some point in the comic they'll talk about Mac Two joining the editorial team, and that's uh, um, uh, McKenzie uh, uh, coming on full time. Huh. So this new editorial team, Fox will realize that a lot of the existing thrills in 2000 AD are getting a bit long in the tooth. We've seen this, of course, with like Ace Trucking recently, a Rogue mm. Trooper. We've seen attempts to go against, to uh, to revitalize strips with, say, um, uh, The Death of Wolf and then Rage and Strontium Dog or various efforts to do things in uh, Judge Dredd also to kind of keep things fresh. But what they really need is sort of is new um, it, it, it is, is new thrills, basically, you know. And the problem is that the current c- crop of, of uh, creators, like the guys they've used for all these years for 2000 AD, they are unwilling to create new, new stories and new characters for the rates and level of copyright control that, I, that IPC and Fleetway are offering. Those rates and control being, uh, namely, low and none, FYI, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, Oof. like, in, 
In 87, for instance, like Pat Mills and Kev O'Neill will start this new uh, uh, comic martial law in the States where they have complete control over it, mm. of, of, of the characters and stuff. And, you know, among the various angry things that Pat Mills is saying in phone calls, like, I don't know, like uh, Thrill Power Overload talks a lot about Pat Mills is constantly shouting at um, editors and sub-editors for more money and more other and, – and, and everything else. Um, wow. But – He's basically said that, that that he'll never make a new character for 2000 AD, you know? And wow. This, and like FYI, this money and creative control stuff is also why Alan Moore never wrote Halo Jones book four or and I never mean, it, came back to do it, you know? I will say it's – it especially given like the, the weird year-end comic that we read from the other yeah, time. Yeah, I mean – Like yeah, it's becoming very clear how different it is in the US versus the UK even at this point in time. Yeah, there's definitely – I mean, this is definitely like part of what's behind Tharks had revisited that we saw mm. at the end of last year. Yeah, that sort of – just this dissatisfaction, you know? Mm-hmm. But so because of that, basically, it means it's time for a youth movement in uh, in, in in 2000 AD, right? The oldsters need want more money and are being jerk and are not being jerks. Sorry, they're 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 asking to be reasonably compensated, and we can't have that. So we got to get a bunch of young people in here. Uh, <laughs> Try their hand at at this rather delicately yet long lasting so far comic book series. Exactly, you know. So so. That's basically what we're going to see over the course of 87. Like, definitely keep an eye out for it. Like, new new writers, new artists, new new characters coming from them, you know? Okay. Um, we're seeing it – it's – we're seeing it a bit in the in the expansion of the role of uh, Peter Milligan, who's been doing a lot of, of uh, future shocks and stuff, but it's now going to be – like for 87, I think he's got at least one thrill in 2000 okay. AD for the rest of the year. And also for more guys, uh, definitely Grant Morris and other, other stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, as much as it's kind of a, of a, of rough for the artists, I think there is some really interesting stuff coming out as we get further into 87 for us, the readers, you mm-hmm. know, exciting times that, of course, you know, we now can sort of keep talking about just this, uh, this dark storm cloud on the horizon as the 90s grow ever closer. Oh you know? my God. God damn it. <laughs> like. It's hard to – that seems – it seems much more ominous, ominous now than this time of year, last year when we were still deep in like the early 80s. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> it was – I mean, it's still pretty good. Yeah. No, I, I, think I, I don't see be, any black storm clouds. Don't say that something bad's coming. It's going to be great be, forever. I, I think things are going to be okay until like 2020, you know? Like that's okay. my goal. That, oh my God. That's my guess. We'll see. Um, uh, wait but, until, until real life 2020 we're gonna be okay yeah, yeah until real uh, life 2020 absolutely that sounds like a futurist problem in a in a way that i don't want to think about so that's fine i can't i can't stress enough how much of it's a problem for future conrad and fox screw those guys man i don't <laughs> like them anyway they're making like... they, they're making serious decisions about bullshit we didn't judging us for it I don't like any version of us on either side of us in terms of time. Right. You know? I like now, Fox. I like now, Conrad. And yeah, with that said, that that's just sort of the lay of the land, basically. Just sort of to keep in mind, you know, we're we're heading out there. And uh, speaking of a green and pleasant land of, of ancient England, Fox. Oh, God. Or ancient UK area. It's through one slain. So do you think that these ancient chronicles are actual ancient chronicles? Or maybe Pat Mills just wrote some shit. 
I mean, yeah, I'm saying that like I'm I I will definitely say that um, Pat Mills wrote some shit. That's obvious. <laughs> they walk other, around with a battle axe like a staff, and it's better than a sword or a bow because it could just I like could definitely hit see someone writing something like this. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's the thing. It's like I get the idea, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, I could see a DM writing that. Yeah, but I mean, it's very much. Um, like something that because it's so specific makes me think that it's probably like you know it, it might be based on something that's real but but has been juiced um a little bit just mm. to be more more specific to the situation but sorry so slain script robot pat mills art robot glenn fabry and on at least one of these ones uh, nick williams on inks and then letter robot steve potter and like you said fox we start with this scholarly narration about how celts fight over sweet seeds of slain killing the hell of these Fomorian sea raiders, which is pretty yeah, awesome. Fuck them. And we be, yeah, and like you said, said we, we we basically learned that uh, Celts like axes because you don't have to sheath them or anything; you just sort of walk around with the axe out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems out, to work axe out. out. That's what I say. <laughs> um, oh my god! So axe slain bloody kill- spray. Oh, yeah, I'm, definitely. Right, I'm getting out of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous, buddy. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, uh, 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 GTA. Uh, Jim Tan axing. But anyway, because um, you don't because these guys aren't doing laundry, buddy. Oh. Um, so Sl- Slain kills these Fomorians, and as he does, they get dragged into the cauldron of plenty by the Death God Avigdu, which is pretty awesome. Which really just uh, means he's eating them. Right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he's I like we like the last time we like two two episodes ago when we talked about Slain, we sort of learned that he's like this death god who's so always blood. rotting, and so he's using like the blood. He's like kind of slapping the blood and flesh on himself in an effort to try to preserve his rotting body. Oh, so he's emulsifying. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's kind of like um like that um god damn it who's that guy? Geiger. Um, no, like that dread villain or that dread guy that was like a cyborg and he just like kept looking for bits to slap onto his body because he oh. fell in the rat pit and was mostly um... – Yeah, right. He went through a bunch of surgery. He was like this guy. <laughs> yeah. He was like 120 because was... he'd been yeah. like you know, cybernetically kept alive and then he, he fell into a rat – he was tossed into a rat pit and came back out and needed to find And he was parts, just obviously. a robot and he yeah. kept trying to fix – being a robot to try and be a human by shoving human parts on him. Man, yeah, we remember sh- some stuff. That was great. Sh- shout out to everybody at home shouting the uh, the name of that storyline <laughs> at, at their uh, at their podcast device. Sorry, everybody. Um, but <laughs> it's a live podcast. And, yeah. Anyway, they can hear the monster giggling inside the cauldron. It's pretty awesome. Seven Fomorians lay dead. Slain didn't think of too many, which I love that. Uh, turn yeah, of phrase. that's nice. As our heroes head over to the tribe, we all, we cut back to the royal stall where King Ragal decides to go to the Fomorian leader, Baylor and tell him that the taxes are too damn high. His <laughs> queen, Megrim, seems to doubt that he can do this. And Ragal basically tells a story about his wild days as a young warrior with Slain. And the stories are all pretty good because it's just Slain doing the cool stuff while Ragal just kind of hangs around. But still, like he used to be a, he used to be wild in his old days. I mean, you know, just be okay. Look, just because you're not the guy who does the bungee jumping, hanging out with your friends while they do it is fine. 
Totally. And we, and, and we definitely, and part of this is just to kind of learn that everybody back in the, in the tribe has been thrilling to stories of, tri- of Slane's adventures that have sort of trickled back down to them. Like, I mean, important. they're, they're going to, we're going to rattle them off later, but my yeah. favorite is still buying a jail to extort the prisoners. It's practical, buddy. You know, just mm-hmm. as long as you don't have like a snake lady in there. Yeah, um, that was bad news. Yeah. But so, um, Raggles is jealous about these adventures, even as Megrim tries to reassure him about the hard choices he had to make in surrendering to the Fomorians. Yeah. But that choice doesn't seem that justified as we then look out on the tribe, which is full of starving kids and adults l- missing various <laughs> limbs and noses, you know? It's my, tough. I mean, my favorite part of it is he just shoves her away and he's just like, you're just some hot babe trying to tell me <laughs> things to make me feel good. I'm yeah. going to feel sad and like eat muck, I guess. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, he's he's failed. He 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 says he's failed the Earth Goddess. Realizes he's been wrong to trust Megrim, and if he can't get Baylor to lower the taxes, then he'll have to die too. And we cut to a scene we saw in an early draft form in the 1986 sci-fi mm. special, which is Raggle visits Baylor at the communal feeding pits of the Fomorians <laughs> and is forced to eat from their muck, and it just seems real gross. Like, what is it? it? There just seems to be floating animals and shit inside. It's ju- yeah, it just seems like a big pit of mud that they've thrown a bunch of, like, dead and semi-dead animals and people into and just kind of let it soup up and then just kind of eat whatever floats around in there. It looks like real, it's trapped real, real in giant tarps. It looks yes. gross. Real gross. We also learned that uh, Baylor, the uh, the head of the Fomorians, has this, like, one eye that's, like, bruised over, but he can, like, open it, and there's unholy power in there, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, that's why he's got the weird pretzel face. Yeah. Oh, yeah, his face does look like a pretzel, or like a uh, like like an old orangutan that, that's got a lot of... Oh, um, uh, yeah. Like, like, you know... Orangutan has got these crazy like flesh nodules around their heads as they as they get older, <laughs> you know. Or I, think, uh, I don't know what they're. Or like a Palmier's cookie, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> shout, shout out to Mayor Dave, but um, <laughs> R.I.P. But um, so basically, Raggle knows that his days are numbered. He's got to make way so that someone more worthy can become king. Someone like like Slain. Honestly, I think I think we you know the story is called Slain the King. I think I think we know where this is going. I mean, he <laughs> obviously read the script, so yeah, or at least see, seen the title card. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, you only have to look up. Yeah. Exactly. So, in front of a giant statue of a sleep of a sleeping Earth goddess, I I love how plump and, and pretty she is. I love yeah, this. full on Earth like uh, old school Earth goddess. Yeah, here, you know, like uh, like the like the th- those old Venus statues that were like mm. a, uh, like a, a large round lady because that's you know because that's plenty, man. When you're mm-hmm. like a medieval uh, a medieval guy, you're like yeah, like look at that lady, man. She's fertile. I like that. But um, <laughs> neat. In front of the statue, Niav, Slain's lover, offer up offers up her son Kai as a sacrifice. The skull-headed druid Cathbad takes the boy. They've been they'll be parted forever. Uh, Niav seems nervous, but doesn't want her son to end up like her father, like a, like his father or grandfather. The druid raises his knife. And cuts a garland of mistletoe. Oh, Kai, yeah. Time yeah. to make him a sweet hat <laughs> with our arts and craft skills. Flower hats for pagan rites. <laughs> <laughs> 
But so Kai is accepted to become a student of the Druids. He'll learn for the next 20 years and then be all druidy and all that stuff. Kai's already getting kind of rough with the other kids, so he's uh, definitely he's gonna need lots of training to become I a love, good druid. I love the background stuff where he takes off the crowd and he's like ripping it up as he walks towards another kid. In the next scene, he has the other kid stick and is beating the hell out of him. It's and then the last good. one, he's standing above the kid, raising the stick above his head. <laughs> These kids today. Um, I know, right? So, so Niav it's goes to games. take Kai to Druid training, and he d- she does this aboard the chariot of Gurg of the Three Fingers, who just has a lot of three finger imagery going on with this stuff. He's even got a sweet three finger hat, which I like a lot. Yeah, it's really um, gross. Also, they put it in bold because that was one of Slane's friends, and he totally mentioned it a while ago. Yeah, 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 definitely. No. Yeah. So, so Niav says she hates Slane and doesn't want to be reminded of him. Um, the chariot rolls out and they spot Megrim standing on a bridge gloating. She's got one boob out as you do. And, uh, and, and they just kind of drive away. She's got a weird, like, I don't know if it's her kid or if it's just kind of a, a, I mean, a creepy castle dwarf next to her, but there's definitely some kind of short guy next to hands, her. They're holding hands. So it's like, you know. Yeah. I don't, it's weird. It's awkward. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, Niav says she'll join the free tribes after she drops off Kai and suggests that that Gurg should too. But man, he's sticking around because he's waiting for Slain to come back because he's Slain's chariot driver, basically. That's not super going to work out, I feel like, because oh my god, their chariot did a bump, and now they're and now they're uh, on their sides. There's freaking wolves everywhere, and and her face in the sky, looking creepy as all fuck. Yeah, yeah. Niav's like, forced to draw her sword. As the wolves come at them and Megrim laughs in the sky. So it's that it's that like metal or like uh, um, fantasy book cover or the back sleeve. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Niav, Kai, and Greg try to escape the wolves or Gurg, I should say. But Gurg has twisted his ankle and can't walk on his own. So Niav has to carry him. And I really want to call out her leopard pantsuit that she's wearing right now, oh, I which love is extremely this thing. awesome. It looks fantastic. It's got leopard pantsuit, no uh, backless, of course, and she's got that uh, Celtic lipstick thing where there's just like like a square of lipstick around her mouth, basically. Well, my favorite thing is the iron ring that's around her neck that looks like it's in a whole piece. Like, how the fuck did she get that on? Because that's what's holding up the pantsuit. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could have a join in there somewhere or something like that. Oh, or sure. She could just be extremely metal and you start kind of, you know, tr- you start wearing this dress when your head's real small and you kind of wear it for the rest of your life, you know, or variations <laughs> well, I on it. You can, you can wrap the fabric through, you know, yeah. just you keep the metal ring, everything else sure. you got to do around it. Yeah, live it up. I, I love um, this digression. <laughs> yeah. But so – um. Gurg's tired and the wolves go to attack and, and, and Niav waves wades in to kill these beasts as we get more scholarly text this time about the ferocity of Celtic women. About how much they can dropkick wolves and shit and throw yeah. n- definitely not ninja star saw blades into their head. That was awesome. Listen, like you're always going to have thrown weapons, buddy, just because the shuriken's the most famous doesn't mean you can't have crazy Celtic ones. Well, what I um, love is that she's got like a bandolier of them at the ready. Yeah, because she's a badass, man. Oh, she's a warrior, beautiful Xena warrior princess. Once you reach a certain level of badassness, you get a bandolier or something, you know? <laughs> you like, get, I think we've all seen this. You get a, a disc that you can throw and scream, la 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 
that Cena only, the Arobi of murder, the sh- or, or a Chakram of doom. But oh, anyway, my. Um, <laughs> Conrad, you just made me so happy. Doing my best, man. Real giggly episode here. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Slain is flying by and goes to help them over Oko's objections, of course. By the time they, la- they land, though, they see that uh, Niav has successfully slaughtered all these wolves on her own, so whatever. And then um, he's just like, babe, and she's like, babe, and then they just <laughs> straight up Mac. I don't I mean, think she's I don't think she says babe that much. I think she's more sort of like, what? Like she's surprised. Then Slain I'm, grabs her and kisses her, and then immediately Niav just knees Slain right in the balls. I mean, yeah. That's what you're gonna do. <laughs> you know, Slain manages to recover real quick though. He's delighted to see her and her son, and at Uko's request, we learn did their story from Niav's view, which seems rough. Um, you know. It it seems like it's uh you know, probably a little bit more truthful, less embellished. I mean, it's got some similarities to Slane's story, which we heard about way back when, mm. which is that, you know, she she was beautiful and betrothed to the king. So she was forced to live in a remote house um, until she came of age. And, 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 and the king was nice, but also, of course, real jealous and controlling and stuff. Until one day, Slane burst down the door, Jack Nicholson style, and <laughs> they did it. <laughs> Woo! They they totally did it, and she got preggers because he kissed her belly button. Yeah, that's hot. Um, but after she after that, Slain ran away and escaped the king's wrath. Niav, not so lucky. Yeah, I mean, I mad. I mean, she was forced to stay inside and raise the child on her own, right? Yeah, I mean, over a campfire, we basically learn that um, she had to give birth alone. That was fucked. Yeah. That's the thing, yeah, is that after Slain left, she had to, like, she basically got shunned by the tribe, so she had to give birth on her own, you know, she had never done it before, and there was no one to help her at all, or, or, or anything, and then she had to raise the child alone, away from the village as well, it's a real uh, room kind of situation going on here. Yeah. Um, and basically, just she was like a prisoner while Slain rolled free and was a general jackass all the time, you know? This takes us to one of the big slain uh, things, which is always to go back and talk about these old uh, slain adventures. That we didn't um, see. Specifically the one where you lift a horse with your fucking... We saw this one. Really? Like, these, these are Am all... Am I not these remembering were, this? I, I don't think... This one had, like, a bit... Like, I, I, I forgot which one it was, but this prog had a real bit... Like, was had a big cover of it, because it was by Mick McMahon and had, like, Oko on the cover being like, roll up, see the amazing Celtic warrior kind of thing. <laughs> lift shit with his fucking glutes or whatever. Yeah, well, not well, his butt. yeah, that was the bet, was that Slane could lift a... Could, like, lift a horse up using only his legs, and he had to warp out to do it. And and at the time, Slane also had misgivings, because he warped out to accomplish the feat, and he had misgivings about you know, using the, uh, yeah, using they the were Earth Goddess's cash. power to get mm. money. But Uko was like, hey, we got to do it. You know, this was very much in the, like, uh, in the anime stage of Slane's adventures, <laughs> where they were wandering around and always very hungry. You know, that do, seems like what do, it, this is very much sort of like the in-between gyms section of Slane's Pokemon oh, Quest, you know? Oh, my God. Um, anyhow, we also cut to, um, like, the the Wicker Man, where Slane saved the evil war- uh, sorceress Maeve, you know? I, which and, is- Yeah, she badmouths him for that one. I do like his thing where he's just like, you're, you're just not, like, I did good shit. Yeah. 
Like you're, you're twisting it to make it bad shit, you know? I mean, it is I also was, bad shit sometimes. Yeah. I'll just say that, say, say that we're going to flash back to the Wicker Man especially a lot over the coming years. It's well, definitely one of one of the big slang things. I mean, it was cool, especially because his dad was in there and stuff. But it's also, you know, just FYI. I mean, he also rescued a woman who was supposed to – she went back and married Slough Egg. Or no. Yeah. She, no, she's actually supposed to be up here. Yeah. No, she uh, she was supposed to, to like, be sacrificed and marry uh, Krom Kruak. But then um, she survived because and she they survived, sent her up Fig, Yeah, gave her a, a mission to infiltrate the uh, northern tribes as a sexy temptress. Oh. Hey, do you think we know? Do, 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 do we know any sexy te- uh, uh, temptresses, Fox? Because, <laughs> because, because after, right. after giving Slain grief for fighting the Scythrons and also like doing nest all over the place. Which, calls- <laughs> I mean, that only was confirmed for once. But after she says that, I'm like, oh, okay, they, I mean, maybe not the one time. Probably. I mean, we don't know how, how long, how much time there was between the spoils of Anun and the start of this story. It could be a while. Oh, I mean, know? even after the fucking, like, let's go kill this fucking uh, 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 unknowable beast monster in, like, this different dimension. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think they... You're going to power had... Pluke through good feelings and emotions, right? I was just going to say that I'm pretty sure they didn't have sex until after the spoils of a noon because she seemed real uh she had like blue balls during um the the virgin part of that you know uh yeah so i think it was afterwards that they decided to to get it on you know anyway that's fair because of all this um uh uh Niev's not a huge fan of slain and, I mean. and kai's definitely going to the, to the druid ceremony uh, seminary <laughs> even if slain isn't stoked about it because Niev doesn't care what he thinks. The two of them walk off to do their own thing, and Slane's just going to do whatever he wants. Damn. And speaking of um, the fact that I just talked in- into a spoiler for you, let's just confirm it by saying, next time on Slane, Megrim revealed. <laughs> hey, man. I mean, like, I'm sh- all of that was laid there. I just didn't... I I mm-hmm. thought she was coming in as something else. I didn't think that maybe she would like do a spooky hide magic, but I guess that makes sense cuz she's a, a spooky hide magic girl. Yeah. So the yeah, slavs none- are still around, man. Yeah, none none spookier for sure. I hate spooky. I'm okay with it. And speaking of best buds hanging out and killing people, Fox, <laughs> is that is that what is that what, what it is? Yeah, thrill two bad company. I feel like they are the exact opposite of buds. <laughs> like every, in fact, it ex, it expressly says at a point in this, I believe, even in the last one, don't be friends with anybody. <laughs> yeah, but you know, just, like when people tell you not to be friends, that's when you become friends the most, right? I think we've all been through that. This whole thing's is just romantic. This whole story is just a romantic comedy of a uh, of a uh, Danny oh and, K- and uh, Kano realizing they're in love. You know. It's oh good my times. God! Will they? Won't they? Will God. Will he become Kano or won't he become Kano? It's It's a more complicated question than you. Or the answer is more complicated than you could possibly imagine. Fox. Oh uh, my God! Please tell me he travels <laughs> back through time to become Kano to teach himself to become Kano. 
Script robot for Bad Company, <laughs> Pete, Pete Milligan, art robot Brett Ewens and, and Jim McCarthy, letting robot Tom Frame. Okay, I Fox. feel like I got close to the mark on that one. <laughs> I feel like I can't even begin to explain what, what's actually going to happen. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm so I, excited. I don't want to talk about it because even giving like my little joke hints will like be too much. Okay. But, um, I respect that. I don't think it's the time travel one, but it is weird. Um, anyway, <laughs> this one opens up with a giant – like all these bad companies open with these really cool like close-ups of different characters. Yeah. Just to kind of, like like, like a, a, a big character study of just a random character, often involved in the situation, but sometimes not. But this one opens up with a giant close-up of a cruel alien with some real cool – with some real cool teeth. I love these yeah, – this thing. Um, Danny Franks is again in his diary as Bad Company is resting after that big exercise in the horror from last episode. Danny shushes his buddy Trucker and overhears Kano and Duster Zombie uh, Thrax having an argument about methods of doing things. Thrax is not to worry about Ararat or Earth, but Kano disagrees and says the company will soon be crossing the Golgotha Plains. Oh, man, we're going to have like a series of really bad trips. Yeah. This seems pretty terrifying. And we also learn a bit about another company member, uh, Flytrap, who's got this mm-hmm. giant v- Venus Flytrap plant grafted onto his right arm. And he explains that the Golgotha Plains are part of the planet where the very air can drive you mad. Aw, yeah, boy. He just wants to be closer to the Earth. And yeah. I guess, not, like, you know, tripping balls, he's not too afraid of. Nah. Kano says the winds will bring your will bring up your deepest fears, and the natives of the planet are immune, so their buddy Gobber will be leading them through as the rest of the team is tied together with rope, sort of like, I don't know, like um Odysseus through the harpies style or something like yeah, that. Kind you know? of. Kind I, I of. definitely got that vibe. Yeah. Uh Kano said uh, blah, blah, sorry. Uh Interestingly, Danny can see everyone else's fears as they go as well as his mm-hmm. own, which is pretty crazy. Um, Not great. Flight, yeah. Flight Trap see, is attacked by deadly bugs. We see Mad uh, Mad Tommy Churchill sees uh, – or sorry, Mad Tommy sees Churchill doing a Nazi salute beside Hitler. And Hitler's like won the war, with the war basically. Another Another guy sees deadly slicey people and the robot wall banger just sees a bunch of deadly drills going into his body. That would horrify me as a robot. Not that I am or would be scared of those things as a human. Listen, I'm as like as a as a fleshy meatbag. I would not like to be attacked by flying uh, uh, murder drills, buddy. You know what? I think that's something everyone can believe in and not second guess that we are anything but humans. Back off. Human all the way. Right? Humans forever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Kano's fears are blurry and don't seem to touch him. There's maybe like a a photo of a woman or something like that. Yeah. It's it's not clear. Um, Danny's fears, however, are much more definite as a giant caricature of Kano yells at him, You're (laughs) one of us! You're bad company! It looks like a 1990s kind of like... It wouldn't have been from a TV show, but it's definitely like the, oh, it's the gross one. Kind of like the street sharks. Yeah. Like, oh, like a, I'm going like, to get it. Like a, 
a garbage pail, a garbage pail kid Ooh. version of Kano or something. Yeah, 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 yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Luckily, they've made it finally off the planes, and Malcolm slaps Danny Slane as you do. Um, I guess one of the Raws died of heart failure on the planes, and then this guy's stitches blew his head off. I guess as you do, and another dude named Scummer is flipping out as we speak. He's mid flip out. He like, oh my god! He, like, he flicks Kano's head and then goes to see what's in the special box that he carries around everywhere, which we just found out he's got. And let me tell you, touch the box, try open it. He's gonna shoot you, and he does. Yeah, definitely kills this guy. Um, <laughs> and Thrax yells at Kano, but it's no good. And of course, now Danny is obsessed with what's in the box. He's a common Brad Pitt. What's um, the box? What's in the box? Um, uh, what's in the, the box? <laughs> They're on their way to assault a cruel camp, and the company is using like a cool chain line to cross this river of blood, which is full oh, of dude, deadly tentacle it's, beasts. It's from the chain gun. Yeah, love that chain gun. Good uh, altering so ver- uh, vertical, you know. Yeah. They're they're traveling across. They're being pulled into the river. If you must die, die slow or die quietly. Yeah, it's good. Because um, they, they need the they need the element of surprise, man. Yeah. They sneak up to the cruel, the cruel base, and Kano assembles a team for of, of himself, Flytrap, Gobber, and Danny, and they sneak up and start silently killing these cruels. So uh, Danny, fucking awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Danny gets his first kill to stop one from raising an alarm, and inside the base, they find a bunch of humans, all gaunt and starved, and the subjects of cruel experimentation. Like, what the fuck are they doing? I, like... I mean, yes, I guess you would do that, but then, like, what's the purpose? I mean, keep in mind that these beasts are both cruel with a K and cruel with a C, buddy. They got, like, you know, mm. they aren't cool dudes. Um, that's fair. They're not cool dudes. They're cruel um, dudes. That's right. Uh, Kano <laughs> sets, prepares to set off some bombs to mercy kill all these dudes. Uh, Danny objects, but Kano won't be deterred. The base explodes and Bad Company wades into the fight. Some pretty awesome fighting here. Um, but they're, uh, And uh, they manage to take out this cruel base and there aren't even any Bad Company casualties. I like hey. how when they're walking away in the jungle, you can see the fucking like plume of smoke from where they just came from rising yeah, into the air. Real awesome war fighting here, man. Mm. Uh, it, it's a job well done, and the, um, the company fades into the jungle, eating mud burgers that Wallbanger's apparently able to produce, which seems gross. <laughs> Kano swears Danny to secrecy about the experimentation ward, and Danny laments at how hardened he's become. Well, this is actually so where I feel uh, this outshines for me, Rogue Trooper. Is mm. like this portion feels very like, you know, it's a movie or at least in this term, a comic book reflecting on the Vietnam War in the truest sense, I feel like. yeah. Um, and, you know, Kano kind of says, yeah, you did good and you're learning. And in his thought bubble, he's like, yeah, I'm learning how to blow blow up your own wounded and then eat rations like nothing's happened. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what he means. But like yeah. while he's doing it sarcastically and becoming a hardened, like experiencing the horrors of war and has as it's changing him, he is actually revealing like the kind of the true nature of, of being in a fucking war zone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's we're Yeah. Like, you know, I sort of joke around about it just because it's I don't know, it's, it's such a thing. But yeah, I mean, Danny's definitely it is changing as the story progresses. You know, we can definitely see that happening. 
I guess what I'm saying is bad company is awesome and it's also yeah. teaching you something. Ooh, think about I it. Fucking, I love bad company, man. Yeah. Especially this next one where we open up at Thrax with his fucking cool ass guns. Looking real cool, buddy. Right. And uh, we see Kano talking to the troops, wondering why he, um, he's basically explaining why humans didn't just nuke Ararat to keep <laughs> the cruel away. Um, and it's, it's really going to Alex Jones on this whole segment, just so you yeah. know. It's not to preserve the lives of the, of the native population, the gobbers. Instead, Kano has the inside scoop. Just, Earth will die in 15 years for all the poison we've done to it. And Ararat's the only reachable planet where humanity can prosper. <laughs> you can't tell me that the shadow government is not going to only let the super elite live in their new paradise. Only that's they're not to survive. And they've been doing all that stuff in Bohemian Grove. Um, whatever. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> Forever. Really. Um, Biting political commentary. Yeah. Suddenly, Gobber shows up. They've spotted a cruel supply train. And Trucker says it'll be easy pickings. And because of that, Kano says, oh, well, why don't you guys go? And I'll just sit out and see what you're made of. Uh, oh, fantastic. This is poorly... Yeah, this sits poorly with Thrax. And Danny, again, thinks about that black box he's always got. Starting last last issue, <laughs> the ambush be- as the ambush begins though, one of the trucks opens up. It's full of hardened, cruel troops. It's an ambush. Several troopers, including Gobber, are taken out, and things look pretty bad until Kano and, Wol- and Wallbanger suddenly arrive. They kill the cruel like crazy, and the battle soon ends. It seems my- Kano. Oh, go ahead. Oh, my favorite part of this is, I think exactly what you were going to say is, Kano straight up sent them in there because he knew it would be an ambush. Yeah, but he knew. But if they knew that, then they would have uh, done it differently, and the crew would have been so um, um, overconfident during the fight. And that's not good commanding, to be honest. Morale. No, real and low. then they would have. They wouldn't have expected you coming in from the sides with your awesome murder robot. Yeah. Danny, however, despite the fact that Kano is clearly a liar, um, does still believe him about all this Earth stuff. Oh yeah. No, he's uh, he's getting he's getting his beliefs pretty closely in line with this crazy person absolutely so the question is like for what's in the box do you think it's more towards the like captain jack sparrow i've got a wonky fucking uh compass or a goonies like i've got a key and when you hold it up at like weirdly the right place that no one would have told you to go to and it lines up with all the little islands out, outside in Washington, where there would definitely uh-huh. be a pirate ship. Do you think that's what he's got instead? Like, where on the spectrum do you see what's in the I box? Mean, I I know what's in there. You know, like, son of a the, bitch. The problem. I want to um, believe that it's a key to a pirate's treasure. That's fair. It's it's, <laughs> it's the key to it's the key to some kind of treasure. I'll say that. Let's come back to it. Um, beautiful. Our final story ends with a cool action shot of Danny, Malcolm, and Shrike, who's the uh, the dude with the top hat, blazing mm-hmm. away. The company is holed up in a naturally occurring blitz bubble, hiding from cruel artillery that's pounding away. And it's just become a real pressure cooker because no one really likes to be that close to their fellow bad company members for any extended <laughs> period of time. Uh, I mean, they're all fucked up and weird. Yeah, and Mad Tommy singing uh, like old war songs and stuff, you know. 
on the shores of Dunkirk. Um, and yeah, things are getting tense as Danny and Malcolm talk. And there's just some good Brett Ewan stuff here where they, I mean, there are a lot of like repeated panels, which are basically like, you know, they're, they're clearly the, the same image sort of over mm. and over again. But because there's so many panels involved here, there's like 15 panels on this page. It makes it seem like this really rapid fire conversation and makes things feel very like claustrophobic and stuff. Well, it's cool. yeah, and you get a lot of up close shots of of their faces, you know. Yeah, like it, I don't know, you get a you get a very good sense that this kid is like he's getting fucked up. Yeah, Malcolm also explains the uh, the, the deal with a bad company member, Dog Breath, who's a, oh, who's yeah. seen a bunch of sort of this dog man guy. Dogman guy, yeah. But he was a regular person, <laughs> um, and the cruel swapped his brain out for a dog brain, and now he's all crazy. A rabies dog brain. I mean, I think that's more of a burn than a uh, than an actual fact. You need still... some... He's like, uh, you know, dog brain is just like, hey, do you want some ketchup for those harsh brands? Still a dogman guy. Dog brain, <laughs> dogman brain guy. Um, but... Um, Danny asks about what Thrax's deal is, but there's an explosion before we can hear. Thrax kills a complaining trooper, and Malcolm advises not to make a big deal about it. The main rule of bad company is don't get friendly. That way you don't get bummed when people die. Leave your humanity on Earth, because bad company is bad. Oh, suddenly, bad company. Oh, suddenly. Oh, I totally went back on what I said. Yeah, the bunker takes a direct hit. It's time to run. But as they do, Danny realizes he's forgotten his diary. He goes back to get it when they come under fire and Malcolm takes the bullets for Danny. He's dead. Oh, my God. He did it for you. It's like you guys were kind of maybe friends. Yeah. But rather than leave his friend's body behind, Danny pulls out his entrenching tool and digs a grave for Malcolm. Oh, what a nice boy. Good boy. Next He's time got my bad humanity. company, the veil of tears. Oh, that doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> no. Man, so, when are they when are they gonna go to like the beach of eternity or you I know just have a, Mai Tai have, Plaza? Have a fun beach episode of a <laughs> I'm just company? saying that you need at least one episode that is you and Venus blue jeans in swimwear. You know? <sighs> You'd think so. Unfortunately, I don't think we get a lady in Bad Company until Bad Company Part 2. And even then, she's a weird lady. But let's not get into that. <laughs> I mean, you kind of have to be, right? Yeah. And hey, speaking of weird ladies, Fox. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. Man, uh, I'm going to say, because I, I want you to read through this first part, because, you know, Kev O'Neill is doing great work. My yeah. favorite piece of art for this entire month. Uh-huh. Or is is Judge Dredd's face close up? You know the one <laughs> totally. I'm talking about, the bottom left, and it's just like you see every wrinkle in his frown. He's got a big crack. Yeah, Kevin O'Neill draws a big craggy Dredd face. Oh, but so, so good. Script robot for this month: uh, John Wagner, and Alan Grant. Art robot: Ke Art robots: Kev O'Neill, John Higgins, Steve Dillon, and Barry Kitson. Full uh, board here. Letting robot Tom Frame. So we start with Kev O'Neill on art outside a movie theater in Mega City One. And I don't know if you noticed this, Fox, but the uh, they're showing four uh, fatty movies in the movie theater. <laughs> and Blockbusters, Blimp Force Three, Obese, and a Gentleman. And one's a Bad Belly Blues, which is pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> um, but a child's screams echoes through the air. 
Dread she doesn't look super alarmed in the first picture, but the closer you get to her, it, it looks way worse. Yeah. An alien's eating her mummy. Um, Dread and investi- it is, and it's really horrifying. Oh, yeah. Dread finds a, a, a giant green murder alien with a whole lady going down its gullet. Um, amazing Kev O'Neill art here, just throughout, honestly. My favorite part is the little tiny tentacles in his forehead that are like... Yeah, he's got some... Some forehead tenties. Oh, it's um, weird. It's it. It looks like you know something you would cover with pants or something. Definitely. Uh, Dread blasts the monster and it escapes into the undercity, going fuck, fuck. Yeah, and um, it doesn't give a fuck. It kind of vomits a little of the mama, but not most of it. Not most of it. It heads into the sewers as Dread calls it in, pursues the aliens into the sewers. Meanwhile. It was the holiday of a lifetime for Sigourney Bean, a hot mom I mean, with four sons. <laughs> I I get it. I mean, Sigourney Weaver was a fucking gorgeous woman. Is still a gorgeous yeah. woman. Absolutely. And I get the homage, man, but like not many moms dress this way in front of their kids. You know what I mean? Hey, good time. Good time. She's won three weeks in a uh, to Proxima Proxima in a uh, in, in a contest with a sweet low grav beach. But on the second day, her kids, who are no good monsters, even when they're humans, for the record, these don't seem like good <laughs> kids. Um, I mean, most kids in 2080, am I right? It's true. These kids go go onto a, a nature preserve where they shouldn't and get bitten by some crazy monsters. And because they weren't supposed to be there, Mrs. Bean is forced to lie about this. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Dred's pursuing this alien to the Frankie block as Mrs. Bean keeps remembering as she cuts up some kind of weird beast meat. <laughs> yeah. On the way home, the voice started making weird bark noises, but and she, she gets sort of real undressed around them. Yeah, listen, again, it's the future. It's weird stuff going on here. Uh, it's just, it's a little, yeah. It was just a little much. That's all. Yeah, uh, f- yeah. Little little clips for sale here, but whatever. Um, oh my god. <laughs> anyway, um, as they sh- she plays this off until the guy and until the boys start showing other symptoms like bulging eyes, elongating jaws, and twisting limbs. Their skin becomes hardened and dry. She eventually looks up a Vark on, I guess, the internet. I don't know what you'd call it otherwise. And- <laughs> I, yeah, no, it's she looked on. Ref semicolon, which is their version yeah. of Google, and you type in Vark, and then she just read the Wikipedia article. Like, <laughs> Definitely. Like, weirdly predicting how yeah. most of my life goes when I don't know something. Very modern here, absolutely, yeah. But, um, so it turns out that the, uh, the Vark, that, that Varks are like a vampire-like reptilian. They infect a host body and turn them into Varks, too, and there's no cure! Oh man, uh, there's so many jokes. I one, uh, yeah, that's a uh, ideology for you, communism, etc. <laughs> Whoa, Bean thinks, yeah. So Mrs. Bean thinks this is all rubbish, but man, her boys are clearly turning into alien murder monsters. I Fox, mean, one hundred percent. Listen, man, like you say that, but y- you know, you don't remember what puberty was like. I mean, you I probably mean, I do. I didn't get any head tentacles, Fox. You know, <laughs> speak for yourself, man. Other some places, us, I don't know. Some of us, some of us are, some of us. I are definitely didn't become a murder, a murder machine. Okay, I can say that. But anyway, well, I just that I just got to help you with that one. 
Yeah. Great metamorphosis action here in the art. Absolutely. And soon oh, she's I mean, just, it's Kev O'Neill, right? Yeah. Soon, she, soon she's raising a pack of, uh, you know, murder aliens, basically. She she scolds the one that Dread fought earlier for escaping from the house and serves them up a nice feast of alien meats. It's very like Grinch. Uh, Grinch stole Christmas, like fried mm. beast kind of stuff going on here. Uh, Dread arrives and then things move quickly. Mrs. Bean is committed to a psycho cube and the animal squad takes the boys away in handle with fear boxes, which are pretty awesome. <laughs> so just want to shout out two new Dread helmets here. First off, the psycho unit, which is a unit mm. I don't think we've seen yet. Completely different helmet. And then the people with the handle with fear boxes. Yeah. That's they just animal have, control. I don't think they're judges, but they do yeah, have crazy so helmets. That's the, that's the thing. So it's an eagle head on top with kind of the draped wings look. But then the eye slits and the face looks – I mean, they're supposed to be talons. But at first I thought they were supposed to like be Cthulhu-y. You know, <laughs> it, has, it has a Cthulhu look to it. But like I – Kev O'Neill, you tell him to draw a helmet. And man, oh, man. I mean, you've seen Nemesis. <laughs> Yeah. The man no, can do the, a helmet. These these helmets are crazy as heck, and they're like the tamest helmets he's ever drawn, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so next up, Fox, uh, John Higgins takes over on art, and it's a new year, so let's reset things a bit in Judge Dredd. It's a beautiful cityscape. Yeah. We learn about the general uh, – Mega City One City. They they show a map of the of the of the Mega City Five Hundred. This uh, mm. twelve lane lane superhighway. Although it's out of date because it goes down to Florida, which is, which which, mo- which was of course destroyed along with the rest of most of the South in mm. uh, in the Apocalypse War. But naturally, this giant um, road carries all kinds of things, including diseases. Like the disease called crime. Oh my God! The only cure is Judge Dredd. Or a cobra or whatever. But uh, <laughs> um, Dredd's on patrol. He calls in a car learning that's registered to Helmet Parker, a, a racketeer. He's got no warrants currently, but he's way out of his normal territory. So um, and, That's and enough the, to arrest the man. I mean, maybe. The, the, the crooks notice um, – sorry. The crooks in the car notice Dredd and start sweating, but Dredd takes no action. Instead, he orders surveillance and tags the car with a tracer dot. He's discreet, so he just thinks tracer dart instead of shouting it when he fires it. It's pretty good. <laughs> Dredd follows the car for a while, and eventually they um, board the moped owned by Peeny Mancini, who's also a mobster. Oh. Aren't those two at war? Dredd's suspicious and jumps aboard the moped. Inside, he sees a mob summit, including Spokane Charlie and the Wongs. <laughs> uh, Mancini has a plan, basically, that they work together and split up the five, like the area around the 500 evenly. They all make money very warrior style here, you know? Yeah, exactly. Can you dig it? Yeah. Not, well, Dredd can. He's heard enough of this and starts fighting. <laughs> I mean, he gets caught, shoots a guy, then starts fighting. I mean, like with the Warriors, when you kill one guy, everybody else thinks it's a setup. And uh, oh, they start right. fighting and they all just, themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just turn on the guy who started the meeting. And I'm like, there is no – there's no evidence for this. I just think they all wanted to kill that guy. I mean, they were definitely like, hey, listen, either we have a good business plan or we can kill this guy. It's win-win, you know? That's Um, true. 
Dredd takes out a few more mons- mobsters and arrests the rest, booking them for conspiracy. One symptom of the disease of crime has been wiped out, but there's still way more there. These creeps got too big for their britches. They should have known. You can't carve up an artery without spilling a little blood. Oh, Whoa. it's a biology joke. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Yeah, good stuff. So Steve Dillon now takes over on art as a oh, cool secret God. agent. Yeah, Slick Dickens uses his switchblade comb and then infiltrates the debris. Really unfortunate like name. Block. Real t- yeah, I mean, it, it is tough, of course. He sneaks in, getting into a safe and blowing it. And as Dredd gets the call of the disturbance, Slick grabs some gems and goes to escape blasting security droids as he goes. He exits the block and engages in a gun battle with the judges until Dredd shoots his gun out of his hand. But before he can arrest Slick, the thief throws his comb at Dredd and then kicks him in the face. Man, that guy, it's just, he's so anime. He's real, real tough. He's very, or like, um, what's his name? Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a Sin City or something like Ooh, that. This sort yeah. of cool, smooth assassin thief He guy. was my favorite part outside of, um, you know, punching a, a yellow man until he was mush. Big fan of that first Sin City. Big, big, yeah. big anti-fan of the second one. Oh, my God. I, wait, uh, no comment. I, yeah, I just exactly. can't. Fair. Um, so, Dredd goes for his fallen lawgiver when Slick grabs his gun hand and forces the barrel of the gun into Dredd's face, <laughs> making him shoot himself with his own gun. Oh, my God. He's so cool as he gets on the lawmaster and drives away. Looking all awesome. Meanwhile, in the cubes, <laughs> Dredd visits a rotund man and asks him if he wrote this. This book called Slick Dickens by Truman Caput. Oh my God! Capote is clearly Truman Capote, the uh, or Capote, the writer. Um, and Dread wants to know why he didn't write what really happened, and we sort of <laughs> cut to Capote sort of stuck on a rope on his way into the board, being like, "Ah, get me down!" Instantly I'm- arrested by Judge Dread. <laughs> Because if you don't uh, apply some creativity to your life experiences, it doesn't make a good story, man. Well, yeah, that, that's his saying. Basically, he only writes what he knows. So if he's got to write do something about a crime, he's got to at least try to do it. <laughs> and then he um, starts listing off crimes that have happened that were unsolved. Yeah, Dread. Yeah, this of course makes Dread go through his book and find a bunch of other crimes that also actually did happen and are unsolved. And you know, he's basically Kaputz basically just admitted to them. So, Dredd finds his new manuscript, Five Years in the Iso Cubes, and Ooh. gives it a new, more realistic title, Fifty Years in the Iso Cubes. Yeah, don't don't get sassy with Judge Dredd, you know what I mean? Seriously, like, that's just not wise. <sighs> so many people do it. Yeah. Finally, Barry Kitson comes in for art for this story. They shoot DJs, don't they? As, you know, they shoot horses, don't they, kind of thing. Um, but, anyway... I got to say, with with this one, this guy, I completely side with him if I had this implant. Oh, yeah. No, justified. Um, I mean, Dredd <laughs> thinks so, too, for the record. Um, cool Johnny Cool runs a 24-hour radio chat show. It's a 24-hour, never-stop, rap attack. And you yeah, know it's 1987 because rap <laughs> Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Fox. Oh, it's just the worst. He just says nothing. It's it, It's the reason why I can't listen to, like radio radio anymore sure. you know what i mean 
I mean, I do like that you know it's 1987 because he says rap attack and means talking instead of like oh. rap music, which is kind of funny. Exactly. Um, he takes calls this time from a disgruntled citizen that's tired of cool Johnny Cool's radio antics because apparently he's got a brain implant that's constantly picking up the radio show. And just if he doesn't stop talking, this guy's going to come to the station and kill him. I know. I mean, you could change your frequency just like a little bit, you know? This <laughs> guy with the chip can't. Yeah. The death threat is picked up by the judges and he's quickly identified as Cuff Hartley of the Francis Bath block. I could not figure out who Francis Bath is. Um, No idea. Yeah. A judge checks his apartment, but it's empty. And so they just find an empty box of bullets, which means that he's on his way to kill cool Johnny Cool. (laughs) Well, you leave the box behind because you don't want to carry extra shit, you know? I mean, you know, what? The the bullets are all in the gun. You're going to carry an extra box around, Fox? That's ridiculous. Like when a corn Cornflakes are in my belly. I throw out the cornflakes box, but that's just how it goes. Um, I like to keep every cornflakes box. Okay, like good, you know. I'll call hoarders for you, I guess. Um, but so instead, Cuth is on a bus. He's flashing back to how he had like a, a serious problem with seizures and stuff. So they gave him an implant to stop them, but because it's in his brain, he's now picking up radio signals, and he can just constantly hear them. God, I really just would feel like I was going insane. I mean, it seems like it's literally like would be yeah. drive you insane. Harley arrives at the station at the same time that Dredd arrives in the studio to protect Cool Johnny Cool. Dredd's definitely not stoked to be there, but that's how it goes. Cuff takes the elevator to CJC's studio, but Dredd is waiting for him. They have a brief standoff. And holy shit, I don't know if I wrote the rest of this thing. Oh, wait. Oh, oh. here it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was so on a cliffhanger for it because this is one of my favorite ones. Conrad or dear dear listeners, I I, I usually write these out and I've, I've apparently written the end of the Dread story in my Nemesis the Warlock coverage, but whatever. <laughs> um, Dread shoots Cuff to wound and then gives him three years in the cubes. It would normally be more, but he's like lenient on him because hearing cool Johnny Cool's voice in your head constantly would drive anyone insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, even Judge Dredd has modicums of sympathy from time yeah. to time. It, um, but when Cuth learns that radio waves actually can't penetrate the ISO cubes, he requests more time. Ten years, 25, life, just get me out of here. <laughs> so all is well that ends well, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess if that's just what you want. I feel like in three years, he's just going to get me out of this ISO cube. I want to hear my, the sky in my brain again. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I'm increasingly feeling like if you're in Mega City 1, you might as well just go in the cubes. They can't be that bad in comparison to just the, the horrible world of Mega City 1 generally. Well, I imagine they, they've at least got to give you, like, a video game or something. Can't yeah. just do nothing all day. It would, you would literally kill more citizens than you let free, which isn't the point. Listen, if I could do this podcast from prison, I'd go there right away. Like, don't get me wrong. (laughs) Anyway. Next time on Judge Dredd, it's time for one of my favorite stories ever, Fox. Oh, yeah? The Taxidermist. Real good. This one's a real fun one that then leads to a really amazing series of stories in the Judge Dredd magazine. But it all starts here, so I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, man. That's awesome. It's another one of these um, Judge Dredd stories with very little Judge Dredd in it, which is weirdly my faves. (laughs) I mean, that's okay. Like, it's world building, as you say. Definitely. Like I said before, Fox, uh, yeah, 
the, the taxidermist is, is is one of my favorite dread stories. And speaking of things that are often my least favorite thing, it's uh, non thrills, covers, and nerve center. Good covers this this month, though, man. Oh yeah. No, there's some cool stuff in here. You know, I'm, I I rag on this section a lot, but it's often has. Some I interesting mean, I things. rag on it constantly. <laughs> yeah. So Prague five hundred three. Fark. Is this the face of 1987? Kev O'Neill draws crazy-ass monster complete with a lady hidden in its mouth. Good times. That's so gross. I love you, O'Neill, man. Definitely. In the nerve center, Tharg welcomes us to 1987 and lets us know that the thrills will keep going and keep an eye out for the next 2080 uh, monthly. There's pictures of a robo-sheriff and a gold dig, the face of hate. Oh, yeah. He's giving us a hand symbol. It's weird, yeah. Um, a letter asks if Peter Milligan is is related to comedian Spike Milligan. He's not. And if Dredd <laughs> and Anderson could get married legally, get out of here, buddy. There's uh, also on, a writer with a round of film casting for 2080 characters. Like he's got Eddie Murphy as Ace Garp and William Re- Refrigerator Perry as GBH. Okay. Um, and Tharg is currently not interested in such discussions as 2080 megastars are in a class of their own. Oh, burn, Hollywood. Yeah. Finally, a reader complains about the lack of thrill merchants in Eastbourne and possibly because it's just full of pensioners like old people. So they don't want comics. I don't know. Oh, um, OK. Mid-prog, we get a preview of upcoming thrills, including a story called The Dead in 510, Ooh. a new nemesis story in 515, and Rogue and Anderson in Prog 520, which is 2080's 10th prog anniversary. Ten years of, of, of solid awesome. progs. Uh, the the uh, uh, this comic comes to an end with the winners of the layers and snares competition from way back in Prog 462, like the start of oh 1986. God, okay. Um, the winner gets some original artwork from the Tomb of Terror story, and it's this kind of thing where, where you kill a goblin and its corpse is attached to a rope that then triggers a trap and drops a rock on you and you're dead. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, and then this prog ends with more 2080 ABCs, which we'll go over at the end of this section. Ooh. Yeah. Prog 504, guess who's coming to dinner? Oh, it's... Thoth and Satanus killing old timey dudes. Yeah, man. He looks awesome in his fringe, and that's just going to make him taste all the more delicious. Yeah, art by Brian Talbot, real awesome. Mm-hmm. In the Nerve Center, Tharg talks up the five thrills this issue and mentions that John Higgins will be doing art for the next Dread Annual, which is really awesome, actually. Um, and Nemesis, it's an, it's an awesome annual, I should say. Um, and Nemesis and all of his pals will be back soon. Hooray. Well, not Hitaki. Hmm. From pictures, we learned that Dredd's dark secret is that he wears a uh, Matryoshka doll of smaller and smaller helmets on his head. (laughs) And there are letters about whether the letters that are being written in are fake, why they don't post the full addresses of writers, and a reader sending their kebab money or spending their kebab money on 2000 AD. All of these letters get no prizes except for the last one who gets the price of a kebab. (laughs) Wow. Just silly sometimes. Prog 505, Johnny Alpha back in traction as Carlos Iscaric gives us our first look at Durham Red and the bitch story begins. She's she's cute, man. Yeah, but I got I got my new crush. 
Oh, yeah. Listen, this is a better one. Less, slightly less evil th- than uh, Venus Blue Jeans is all I'll say. Um, <laughs> slightly. Tharg announces a new Dread video game with a contest forthcoming. I looked this up on the internet and it seems pretty wild just in terms of like weird Atari games. All right. Um, there's a picture of Judge Mutant and Nemesis the Wall Clock, which I'm pretty uh, chuffed Ooh. about. I think that's pretty funny. Um <laughs> There's a confusing letter from a guy traveling the galaxy, another read who can't find the annuals. So, you know, just keep in mind to pre-order yours today. And there's a correction that Dread didn't appear in Prog 155 as well as Prog's 1 and 109. Otherwise, he's been at it just nonstop. Yeah, I mean, he's a hardworking man. Where's the steel right. hard hat? He can yeah. ride rope, hammer, paint. <laughs> Do things with his hands that most men can't. Fair enough. <laughs> God, I don't know. Um, later, Brooks and um, Dunn, man. All right, we're yeah, out of here. Later, as well as the standard Sleepy Kids ad in a queue for 2080 reservations, which we've seen for a long time. There's also an ad for the All Action Monthly, which is basically a cash grab comic of re- which, which reprints some stories from the Reaction days, including Dredger and Coffin Sub, which was the worst of the action stories, if you ask oh me. Oh my gosh. Um, mid prog, there's a contest for a new game. Yeah, again, the uh, the dread on Commodore 64 Spectrum. Write mm-hmm. in and name your p- microcomputer preference to win. Ooh. Prog 506 killed in action, presumed dead. Malcolm <laughs> X. Oh, questionable right. Brett Ewan's cover. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. In the nerve center, Tharg mostly t- t- just kind of gives some teases for upcoming dread artists in the Prague. It's an interesting selection coming up, too. There's some lit- um, letters about Greek dread stories, like, like, like 2080 being printed in Greek, basically. Huh. Um, and other international readers looking for subscriptions and missing issues, which seems like a very big problem because it's real hard to get the, you know, it's real hard to get these if you miss them. And the vagaries of delivery, you know, either to other countries or around the world, um, you know, sh- sh- shout out to our buddies from New Zealand. Like, there's just a lot of uh, room for human error in there. Yeah. Man, the past was tough. It's real bad, man. Like, you know, the, the future is good and can only get better despite, you know, bumps in the road, I guess. Well, um, I'm I'm hoping for the day the judges take over. Makes things yeah, a lot know. easier. Soon enough, I think, man. It's almost 2020. Like, you know, they should be showing up pretty soon. <laughs> um, uh, there's another Dread Stark secret picture here, but it's not clear whether the worst part is that Dread has long hippie hair under his helmet or that during the day he keeps it up in a man bun. Oh. <laughs> Mid-prog, there's computer drawings of Dread, and I do love how they list the computer that it was drawn on for each one. And there's also a big ad for Storm Force in Battle magazine or comic, which is a replacement for Action Force after IPC lost the license recently. <laughs> oh, my God. Just some, you know, play-by-play stuff going on here. And now, Fox, let's do the ABCs of Judge Dredd. Ooh, yay. I love Alphabet. Wait, it's a top, top... Top five ways of organizing your letters, Fox. Um, I'll get started with uh, with E. E is for executioners. The ho- it's, for, it's for executioner. The hoods killed her man. So Blanche Tatum took the law in her own hands. She tracked down her quarry and left them all dead and ended her life at the hands of Judge Dredd. 
F is for Fergie, king of the big smelly, and Father Earth, the flower pot man, a right bloomin' welly. I don't know <laughs> what that means. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the disgusting F is for fungus, the gruesome infection. Mayor Grub caught it. Bye-bye re-election. <laughs> oh, that's dark. I think uh, I, 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 I hear a wellies probably just means a crazy person, although I believe it's also like a boot. But anyway, mm. um, G's for Goodman and Griffin, chief judges, deceased, and Grampus the Clegg, Cal's favorite beast. <laughs> and G's for graveyard shifts, 9 to 4.30. That's when the action really gets dirty. Oh, <laughs> I love this picture. H is for heavyweight, or uh, yeah, heavyweight old Pudge ate his bed. Abdominal Arnie won in his stead. H is for Hershey, same name as the sweets. Don't be deceived. She's tough on the streets. Eyes for interrogation, the glare of the lights. They'll make you talk if it takes them all night. And I is for ISO, the cube or the block. Easy to easy to get in, but just try to walk. I is informer. He's smart or he's dead. Oh, hell yeah. J is for judge. What more needs to be said? <laughs> K is for Kazan, the Sov City War vet. His favorite game was Russian roulette. Oh, my God. And Kay's Owen Chrysler called the judge child, who later, as mutant, the city defiled. L's for lawgiver and also lawmaster. The bike sure can move, but a bullet is faster. L's also for the long walk a judge can take when his mind's rusty. And his bones start to ache. Yeah. <laughs> so hardcore, man. Listen, you know, this thing doesn't play and it becomes a gigantic like 12 page poster as well. If I you mean, cut it all out and stuff. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Always. And hey, speaking of things that are awesome, but also all too brief, Fox. I know. 304 Nemesis the Warlock. Ah oh, man, there's some there's some chomping going on. Chomp some chippity it chomping. Chomp it up. Um so script robot Pat Mills, art robot Brian Talbot, letter robot Gordon Robson is Kid Robson. So, Fox. I feel like these next two episodes are just kinda clean up, you know? Oh yeah, this is very much wrapping things up for sure. Mm. Uh, Nemesis, Purity Brown, and the ABC Warriors. Are all, are all headed back from the end of time, working on new plans. Hammerstein, Hammerstein's tending to the robot warrior Hitaki, but he's dying because Mechquake crushed his nervous system in a previous episode. And he's all right with that because Japanese honor. Brave samurai, bro. Yeah, Hitaki <laughs> dies bravely. And a few days later, their tube ship runs across an obstruction. We got to move this. If only we had some kind of bulldozer who loved big jobs. Yeah. Metquick luckily brought his bulldozer body with him. Big jobs time! Dude, he just starts crushing them rocks. Yeah. We can expect more rubble as as they go because the chaos of the black holes, chaos with a K, is causing an awful lot of problems. 
Nemesis, of course, blames humanity and says it must be destroyed, much to the chagrin of also human purity brown. <laughs> I mean, they get a little intimate before old poop mouth interrupts them. They're getting close to doing it, despite the fact that like Nemesis really hates, is really in kill all humans mode here. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, it's going to be like a, yeah, it's, he's in a vulnerable situation right now, and I feel like purity <laughs> might not be recognizing that. Yeah, total rebound. Inside the rubble, Rojas has found a stiff, a 17th century Puritan half eaten by a T-Rex. It was Satanus. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's got the look of it all over. It's the poop. It's the bite yeah. marks. Spore. Bite marks. It's real gross. <laughs> I love um, that they call it spore. Yeah. Uh, so Nemesis identifies the body of that of Matthew Hopkin, a real-life witchfinder general from the English Civil War. He tortured women just doing the classic, like, throw them in the pond technique of a, determining whether someone's a witch. Oh, so you mean a sociopath? Yeah, I mean, of course. And he's just sort of a, an earlier days Torquemada, though, of course, on a lesser scale than a galaxy-spanning arch-bigot kind of guy. <laughs> um, but there's more chaos incoming, and Nemesis makes a command decision. They're going to split up. The oh, robots will continue to the black hole control room and halt the destruction of Termite and the surrounding galaxy. Meanwhile, um, also Rojas is promoted to full ABC Warrior. It's real cool. Nice. Meanwhile, Nemesis and Purity will head out on the Blitzspear and continue the search for Thoth and Satanus. You know, this is really starting to feel incredibly Scooby-Doo, where it's like Velma and Shaggy and Scooby go that way. I'm going to head over this way with Daphne. Um, don't worry about it. We'll meet back up in a little while unmask Torquemada and find out it was Torquemada all along. He just wanted to get all the money from opening this bigotry theme park. I mean, I'll say that or closing for me, it, maybe. Be because they're like splitting up and will be split apart for like many real life years. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. Like, it's a little bit more like Lord of the Rings where, you know, like Frodo's where Frodo and Sam split off from like Aragorn and uh, Gimli and Legolas. And that's just sort of how it's going to be for the rest of the book, you know, oh my God. or for the rest of the series, you know, does Nemesis throw a ring into, a, I don't know, a Tyrannosaurus mouth. I like that. You're assuming that like, um, Nemesis is good enough to be Frodo here. Like that's real cute. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, I don't know if I said this, but yes. Um, yeah, they're going to have Thoth and Satanus. Hard job. ABC Warriors can handle it. And now epilogue. Oh, man. It's time to take a lunch break. Yeah. Colonel John M. Chivington is being chased by a T-Rex ridden by a monster. It's Thoth and Satanus. Now let's give this lunch some backstory. It's like yeah. how how they made your ham sandwich. You know Basically. what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd want to know if my uh, ham sandwich was a war criminal. You know, like that seems would you Would you feel more satisfied if you knew that the ham sandwich you're about to eat committed some kind of like, I don't know, uh pastrami based genocide i mean if i was like thoth and specifically looking for genocidal ham sandwiches i think yes i would <laughs> i like this analogy i want some pastrami really going for it yeah but so uh chivington's a civil war type dude he's got a big beard and a french and, and a fringe coat close and your figures... eyes and imagine a guy who like destroyed the west by being really horrible to natives mm. the end yeah <laughs> like Real i dude. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. But so it's just he he figures this is revenge for that incident from sand from sand creek where he cleansed and purified which is of course uh, one of uh torquemada's catchphrases also big 40k catchphrase which i'm now sort of way less less down with now that i've learned its backstory <laughs> um oh my god well i mean yeah but and this, uh, yeah. and later if this guy had survived uh would have made a giant floating city where uh, mm. he could have taken his weird, like, uh, pro-American values. But then you ah. kind of go back in time and have to kill yourself with your daughter. It's weird. Uh, well, weird. Um, <laughs> Bioshock, Bio- Bioshock references here. Um, <laughs> it's, getting, but so, it's getting real close to that, man. Yeah. But so all this stuff leads to a flashback of the very real Sand Creek uh, uh, Massacre, mm. where Chivington led a cavalry force against a village of Cheyenne and Arapaho people in southeastern Colorado. They killed between 70 and 500 people, sort of depending on, on whose numbers you believe. Uh, but definitely a whole lot of them were women and children. This included killing Native Americans trying to fly an American flag to show that, that they were loyal and later white flags to show that they had surrendered. Chivington killed people under both of those flags. He ordered Jesus. everybody killed and scalped, justified the murder of children by saying that nits make lice, which is like uh, horrible <sighs> and shocking, you know? Yeah. Um, Talbot does a heartbreaking job here, just rendering all of this horror and uh, an amazing job just looking like Chivington, making Chivington look like the devil himself. Not that he needs much help, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, he shot a bunch of defenseless people in the face. Seriously. They cut parts of their head off. Yeah. The text in, in the comic quotes Lieutenant James Connor, and I can't tell if that's a made-up character, but many of these quotes are, in fact, real Chivington quotes that he says, like, you can see them on, like, the Wikipedia page for him mm. and stuff like that. Like, it's real, you know, American history here. There's a horrible person. Yeah, real bad. And um, either way, instead of just like, kind of knocking around and dying of cancer in 1894, like 30 <laughs> years later, defending his actions at Sand Creek with his dying breath, instead, um, you know, Chimney gets bitten in half and swallowed by Satanus, and I'm okay with that, you know? And then, <laughs> you know, after eating his delicious ham sandwich, they ride off into the portal set. Absolutely. We learn that Thoth is hunting evil men through history, believing them to be previous incarnations of Torquemada. He's gonna it's, it's very Buddhist of him. <laughs> yeah. Or like like sort of Holly like Shirley McLean reincarnation kind of stuff, I guess. Ooh. <laughs> But he's going to kill all the Torquemadas through time, thus messing with the ones in the future. He's pretty stoked about it. So is Satanus because he gets to eat all these dudes. The end of Nemesis, the warlock. Oh, my God. It's coming back soon. Like yeah. Like mean, 10 issues. Yeah. We'll we'll hang out with uh, ne- with with the Nemesis purity and, Tor- and Torquemada sections of this story in uh, Prog 520. And then the ABC Warriors will be back um, going after that black hole and introduce us to the art of uh, 2000 AG legend Simon Bisley and SMS in Prog 555. Ooh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, that should be right at the start of 88, like real crazy. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, real excited about this. I, You know, this final section with Chivington's real, like, um, 
real affecting. You know, it does a really good job just making him look real, real evil and stuff. We'll see more of this in the later, in, in, in the upcoming Nemesis stories, hmm. um, where we'll both deal with Torquemada doing, um, doing weird stuff and eventually, um, have the two Torquemadas, which is, uh, future Torquemada and past Torquemada sort of hanging out. It's going to be real, real ridiculous. Interesting. Yeah. And speaking of interesting new characters, Fox. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love her. 305, Strontium Dog. I, I love how she operates, man. Yeah. Uh, script about Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant. Art about Colors of Scare, about Gordon Robson is Kid Robson. Oh, yeah, Fox. New, S, new Strontium Dog story, bitch. Oh, my God. It's Just really starring, not yeah. nice, but I get no. that. It's like a pun. I get yeah. it. It's guest starring the most feared and desired Strontium dog ever. <laughs> and apparently there was a big fight when they were creating this character between Grant and Wagner. Basically whether to call her, call her Durham Red or Chelsea Blue. Oh, and really? apparently the fight was mostly about whether they want, like, what accent they wanted her to have if they, if if, they, if there was ever a movie version of of the character. You guys both win. All right, yeah, that's fine. But uh, red stuck. I think it's appropriate because of her abilities. Of course, it'd be weird if she was blue and like drinking blood and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it would have been kind of. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't fine. I don't know. But still, uh, Durham Red, man, she's a sexy lady. She's got a short skirt, low-cut top, got shoulder pads and holsters and stuff. Real good. <laughs> and and uh, decided to put her S&D, like, just at the base of the boob area. Yeah. She's got kind of a mohawk-y kind of haircut thing going on. I like, love like it. Mohawk in the middle, long on the sides. It's it's unique. I'll say that. But anyway, we cut to Mab Garden City where Johnny Alpha is going into a bar as Red stalks him from the shadows. Inside the bar, Johnny braces the barman and learns the location of Ab Rancid. He's upstairs, room four. Wanted dead or alive, man. Yeah. Johnny heads up, Red right behind him, pulling her gun to keep the patrons on good behavior. Upstairs. Johnny checks the room with his alpha vision and kicks down the door, getting the drop on Rancid. I mean, it's really just – and he's he just outright says, hey, man, you're one of dead or alive, so, you know, fuck around and I'll just shoot you and make this easy on myself. <laughs> um, but when the perp agrees to come peacefully, Red makes her move and shoots Johnny in the back. <gasps> With Johnny <laughs> shot, Red sizes up the crooks in, in the room. Two of them are small fry, just wanted alive. Johnny can keep them. But Abelard Rancid's wanted dead or alive, so he'll do. Abelard, man. It's, it's, it sounds like a bad guy's name. Mm -hmm. He's still shocked that Red shot a fellow strontium dog. And Red says she's a strontium bitch. Oh, yeah, which means, like, I'm going to take you outside into this... Like, you know, alleyway and oh, now that we're all alone. That's the title, buddy. Anyway, um, yeah, but so she does that, all that stuff. She says he, she lets him free and says he's got the, till the count of 10 to run. And then she bears her fangs and Rancid recognizes her, the blood woman, Durham Red. Oh, she's going to suck my blood. She's counting and Rancid runs full of fear and adrenaline. And the taste of fear is what Durham loves. Oh, my God. God, the, the part where it's just him running and it's her lips and mouth. Like, uh, real good stuff, buddy. <laughs> chef's kiss. Soon Johnny comes to and realizes he was hit by a stun shot. He goes after Red as Rancid thinks he's lost her, but no way. 
She shoots Rancid, then bites his neck and drinks his blood. I love how when he comes around, he's like, that's enough, Red. And she's like, enough. No, it's never enough. No, sexy vampire looking up, blood trickling down the mouth. That's right. Next time, bad blood. (laughs) Man, I love vampires in my future stories. Good stuff. Yeah, man, I'm real excited, man. We're just getting started on this story. It's going to be like a like 20 issues. It's like, oh, a, that's awesome. A massive mega story. Time travel is going to be involved. Ooh, it's going to be so good. There's going to be a sexy shower with Ronald Reagan. Amazing uh, stuff in this story. What? what? Yeah, you'll see. Listen, I don't want <laughs> that's said not, too much already. That's not sexy. You can't use that word for Ronald Reagan in a shower. I mean, you know, who are, who, who are you to doubt the powers of Carlos Escara, buddy? He's a master ah. of the form. <laughs> All right. All right. And, and speaking of dictatorial leaders, Fox, it's Thrill Six, Future Jocks. If, if I end up attracted to uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, I am going to be very angry at you. Fair enough. Uh, so this story is called The Ark, script by Jamie Delano, art robot Dave Wyatt, letting robot Steve Potter. Bunch of rich I guys, didn't, folks. I didn't hate this. No, this is fun. They A bunch of rich guys wa- awaken from suspended animation and throw a party among them. The president, who's quite mad, they're in a <laughs> nuclear shelter, preserving all the world's artwork and top people as you do. The base chronom- chronometer chronometer says that they've been sleeping for an extra thousand years. But anyway. Sure, why not? Let's head back up to the surface and repopulate the Earth box as you do. But let's not wait for the rad scanner to work. Let's just fucking throw open these vault doors. Nothing could be problematic out there, right, guys? No, listen. There's one thing I've learned from all of the Fallout games is you just open up those vault doors and everything's fine. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's what you got to do. Sometimes to find your kid that you don't really care too much about, or sometimes just because uh, of a sense of adventure and you got to find your dad. Water chip for life. Um, but oh, so my God. We learn that the president saw himself as a modern day Noah. He set off nukes to destroy the world so he and his buddies could inherit it. They arrive at the doors and open, but not – But and immediately after they do, they realize that the rad, the rad levels are still real bad. Um, they go into a world still desolate and destroyed by radiation and war. It's terrible. And they all get pissed like they couldn't just go back into the cryo chambers. That's like, not oh, you, you made Well, you know, they're sort of like, oh, you made the bombs too powerful. Oh, you messed this up. You're an idiot. Oh, they're all fighting amongst each other. They just kill each other and then some roaches show up and eat them. Yeah. The only, the only one guy left like this, like butler guy, sort of like walks off lamenting things. And then he gets eaten by giant cockroaches. All humans are dead. That's it. He see, But as he dies, you know, again, eaten by bugs, he hears voices in the sky. And oh, geez, it's a bunch of kids on a field trip. Because I, <laughs> I guess this ruin of a city has been kept devastated as a memorial to the folly of war for all these no good kids. Appreciate it. I I love the idea that these they were just passing through, but these people had still been left behind in this desolate area. It's so fucking dark. Hey, I just wall it off and then never and never walk through it again. You know, um, the this ruined apocalyptic city is just like my side closet. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and hey, Fox, with that. Oh. 
grim story of the future of just kids being jerks even after the nuclear apocalypse, which is just the saddest prospect ever. Yeah. Um, I have one. They'll never learn. Question and query for you. One thing oh I must God. know. A quandary, is, if you will. What were your top and bottom thrills? Ooh, buddy. Ooh, it was hard. So I'm going to start with bottom because I feel like that's going to be made. Okay. So the whole month is fucking fantastic. It's there a good isn't month, actually, I agree. Yeah. It's right. I, I like I had to make a little special note for myself like, hey, remember January because it's not garbage. <laughs> um, and, and I do want to note that once. Uh, so I do think if it goes on too long like this, it's not it, it doesn't stay very exciting. But I do like it when it returns to sort of this four four thrills per prog every mm. once in a while like yeah. especially because we've been eclectic for so long it's been like oh god so many storylines and additional plots but this feels good and it feels very tight you know things are yeah, things I are mean, getting this, done this lineup of uh of a bad company dread and strontium dog and then something else is is a very strong lineup for sure mm. so uh for bottom get my controversial one out of the way i'm gonna say nemesis Ooh. Um, like I, so I obviously thoroughly enjoyed it and our ham sandwich conversation, but Indeed. you know, it's, uh, it's so much, uh, just tidying up. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, things are going to be like this. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, in, like sandwiches for fucking T-Rexion, you know, yeah. whole thing. <laughs> so it's fine. It it just didn't it like it didn't stand out in comparison to the uh, tied place for for top, which is fucking slain and bad company man. Both of mm. which I felt like ended on these really dour notes. You know, like yeah. Slane's coming back and you're feeling all this build up, but you get very quickly reminded, bitch, you were a bad dad, and she mm-hmm. just walks off to Slane just being like, God damn it, like did kind of fuck this up yeah i do like that there's a lot of stuff to, that uh, keeps slain humble especially in these early mm-hmm. parts you know well and it's things that matter to him right like yeah. having having some dumbass bull or whatever like man try to chop off his head it's like uh, uh whatever you know like he's still a warrior guy let's go get drunk and ride my dragon afterwards right that one was actually affecting um, and the same of with Bad Company. Like, you really get this sense of Kano being, like... Like, the war has very much changed all these people. I'm mm-hmm. surprised that they're surprised that Kano <laughs> would just use them for a trap. Because, like, so far, I feel like they'd kind of do the same to each other. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, just watching watching this fucking dude change as he gets closer to them... And we see, like, kind of this symbolic burial of his humanity, potentially, right? I haven't gotten through the rest of this. Maybe, you know, he's, he still retains it or whatever. But the burying of, of this guy, you know, yeah. Malcolm, is symbolic in a way of just like, hey, this might be the last shred of humanity in this team. So it, it was just, I don't know. Both of those stories were very affecting for me personally. Like, Judge Dredd was fine. Really, really good. Strong Tomb Dog, fantastic. Um, but those two really stood out to me as just like, hmm, like that, this is how we really like kick off this story. Make me give a fuck, you know? Nice. So how about you, man? I need to know. I must know, sir. Will you please entreat me some of those crazy ideas that you call top and bottom thrills? 
Oh, man. I mean, I got to say, this is a real tough, tough month for, right. for bottom thrills, man. They're all real good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say Nemesis just because, like you said, this was very much just sort of a, a wrap up and, and an epilogue this time. Mm. Um, although the epilogue, I really love the epilogue just yeah. in terms of like just, just how they depict Chivington's crimes and stuff like that. Um, is really was really good and just something that, 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 that's very like deep and sort of. You know, put you in this place despite the fact that it's also got a time traveling T Rex and wizard thing. You know, <laughs> um, but so, but man, but like Bad Company's real good. Um, Nemesis is really good, or or, or sorry, uh, uh, Slain's really good. I really like Dread this month too. You know, it's a bunch of like one off stories, but they're all really fun ones. Ark. Um, yeah, Vark's real good. You know, all of them are real, were, were, were excellent. And Strontium Dog's just getting off the ground. And I really love this introduction of the Durham Red mm. character. So I guess I have no choice but to say Nemesis is the bottom. But it's a very much a sort of situational. Like everything gets an A this month, I think. Yeah, right? It's like you just happen to be like 0. 0.01 under the standard. Yeah. I think for my top, I'm going to say Slain. Yeah, um, good choice, man. I really like this thing of Slain coming back and him not like reuniting with uh with Niev, you know? Just yeah, like there's consequences. Yeah. Like just the way she kind of says, like, yeah, we've all been thrilling to your adventures, and like as the woman waiting at home for you to return from your adventures, like I'm pissed. Which I think is yeah. reasonable, you know? Fucking fair. Like I don't know if you've um, if you're familiar with like the Odyssey or something like that, right? I, th I think we talked right? about this last time, where where but he just fucks around a whole shitload, and she's just yeah. Oh no, we totally did. Yeah, and but like yeah, where, where all of her uh, suitors die. Yeah, and every and like all of the women that like you know like spent time with the suitors or like had sex with them die too. You know, mm -hmm. like she's like in these classical stories the. Um, you know, the wife or the woman is supposed to like stay chased while her her man is like slutting around the galaxy, you know? And so <laughs> Ulysses. I think, sorry. Yeah. Because we were talking but, about Odyssey and now it's nineteen eighties <laughs> cartoon. I'm sorry, you can keep going. <laughs> Crazy man. But um but yeah, I think like, you know, having Slain come back and there and, and there be consequences for that is really interesting and really makes this character of uh of Niav like like a three dimensional one or at least like like a two dimensional one I don't know I guess right. like maybe like angry lady isn't really like a three dimensional character but it's way more of a character than like trapped princess that's been pining away for her love all these years you know no she is an actual single mom and yeah, she acts exactly. like she's like no bitch he's not going to warrior camp because he's going to be a fucking druid and you don't have anything to say about that. Because you were fucking some red-haired bitch, like, somewhere in some other druid college. Yeah. And I especially like this, especially when you combine it with her earlier scenes in this story, when she was, like, yelling at the king and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like, she's she's not a weak character. Yeah. And I, and, and I think that's really cool. And, like, that's good. But, man, just so much other good stuff. And it's like Slane's definitely top, but um, Bad Company's getting really good, mm. man. And just like you said, um, 
as an alternate view of this kind of space war from Rogue Trooper, it's very interesting. Like, like I feel like Bad Company's succeeding at something that I think we always kind of joked about Rogue Trooper trying to do, yes. of kind of having badass future war action and then being like, but still, man, war is hell, you know? <laughs> like, that was... Yeah. Like, like so often an unsuccessful thing in Rogue Trooper that I think is very successful in in uh, in, in Bad Company here. Mm. They really stick the landing on, wow, this is awesome. So often, and then I really feel bad. <laughs> yeah. And then also, again, just, you know, one-offs in Dread this this uh, this uh, month. But uh, again, fun ones. I really like the, mm. the Barks. I really like, like, like the DJs one. These are just sort of funny, fun stories. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, good times, man. Good good start to 87 for sure. And with that, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch the Google Play Store, Spotify, or on our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at spacespinner2k. Everything else, look up at spacespinner2000. You'll find us there. And then come back next time as the Strontium Dogs team up. A taxidermist Ooh. gets an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> Slaying parties on. We meet maniac for hire. Ulysses sweet and bad oh. company goes to stop that zombie beat. Oh my! What? Yeah, cool. man. And until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Slow <laughs> <laughs>